Craft Beer Professionals is a national network of nearly 15,000 dedicated to the growth and betterment of the craft beer industry. CBP is excited to bring our virtual community together for in-person events in 2022. CBP Connects presented by Arrive POS are workshops designed to help you grow both personally and professionally. In addition to leaving with actionable strategies, CBP Connect is an opportunity to network and learn from your fellow craft beer professionals, complete with nightly receptions and drinks on CBP. We would love for you to join us June 20th to 22nd, 2022 in St. Louis, Missouri, and or in Norfolk, Virginia, September 12th to 14th. You can learn more and claim your spot at cbpconnects.com. That's cbpconnects.com. See you there. Cheers. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to another panel brought to you by the, the CBP. Uh, my name is Alex Coral. I'm General Regulatory Counsel for Civil Ship Compliant, focusing on beverage alcohol needs. We are a, a software per service provider uh, servicing the supplier and providing lots of direct consumer shipping, interstate distribution support. Uh, but I am not here to give a presentation for once. Uh, I am joined instead by an expert panel of uh, people who are, are you know, again, experts within the beverage alcohol industry, especially the brewing end of things. And we are all here to talk about direct-to-consumer shipping, kind of what it is, what are we doing, what are some of the, the broader policy considerations around it. And I think that there is, uh, you know, certainly this industry, this market particularly, has a lot of interest right now. There are a lot of parts out there, a lot of people trying to get into it, trying to get some of the benefits we've seen from it. And, and we have had a lot of questions over, over the months about the technical ends of things. What are the laws? What are the rules? And I think that if you have questions about that, I do encourage you to look back at some of the past uh, events I've been part of with CBP. We put a lot of discussion into that sort of thing. But today, we really want to talk a little bit more broadly about what does this market mean? What does it look like? How can you grow in it? And what are some of the things that you should be aware of? And, and so for that, we, again, have our, our panel of experts here. Um, maybe we can go around the, the ring here and you can kind of introduce yourselves, talk a little bit about what you do, where you work, and how are you involved with it, this market of direct-to-consumer shipping of beer? Um, Mark, I guess you're kind of first on my, my screen here. Do you want to okay. start off? I'm never sure who's first on what screen. Um, so hi, folks. I'm Mark Serini. I'm the general counsel of the Brewers Association. We're the National Trade Association for Small Independent Brewers. Uh, I've um, I've been in-house at the Brewers Association for about, uh, well, getting on two years, but uh, I have been representing the Brewers Association as outside counsel for over two decades and um, so have uh, small independent brewers close to my heart and um, Looking forward to this panel. Alex, thanks. And uh, back to you or to the next person. Yeah, John, why don't you go? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for teeing that up, Alex. So uh, my name is John Kelly. I am the CEO and one of the co-founders of Craft Peak. And we are a technology company based out of Asheville, North Carolina. And we specialize in building DTC and e-commerce technology for the regulated beverage industry. Uh, we work with about 200 craft breweries across the U.S. and the U.K. And uh, as Alex mentioned, uh, we, we often get um, invited to be part of uh, presentations and, and panel discussions because we're kind of in it day to day as we're uh, helping a number of our breweries kind of navigate the waters of DTC. So we're excited to be here. And we've got one of our favorite customers with us today. Also, Bob Montgomery from Hill Farmstead. Perfect segue. 
I'm, uh, I'm Bob Montgomery. I uh, have been with Hillfarb Sudbury here in Greensboro, Ben, Vermont for about uh, almost 10 years. Uh, and one of the many, many hats that I wear uh, involves direct-to-consumer shipping. And, um, and that process, which we've, uh, we entered into about uh, two years ago. Great. Um, so I guess maybe, Bob, maybe we could start with you because we are trying to kind of understand what this market looks like, what are the benefits of it. Um, and, and as a person who is, you know, we're advisors here, we're just trying to help you out. You're actually in the thick of it doing it. What does direct consumer shipping mean to you and kind of how did you decide this as a, a valuable market for your brewery? I would like a lot of people that came up primarily during the pandemic. So it was a, it was a, it was a means to uh, get our beer to other people uh, who weren't able to travel to Vermont. Um, we, we've been since the beginning, primarily a destination brewery. Uh, that's, that's one of the, the sort of anchor parts of, of what Hill Farmstead is. The, the, the place, the, the, the location itself is a, is a pretty significant draw. And during the pandemic, of course, that that sort of travel and visitation was was substantially uh, cut. So, uh, but also as a direct to consumer, provided an opportunity for us to get our beer to some other places um, like Oregon or or um, you know Virginia or Pennsylvania, where it's more difficult, anyways, for some of those folks to to visit us. Um, so it's it's a it's a it's a great way to provide access, even if it's a small amount. We we don't ship that much. Uh, we're we're a very small brewery, but what what we're able to ship to folks uh, at least allows um, you know folks from afar to to enjoy some of our beer. Well, that's great. And so you you've seen a lot of success here. You think that this is something then you will continue after the pandemic? You want to to keep expanding? Yeah, I think we've we've what we've found. Um, is that it? The, the benefits of it are 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 right in line with being able to provide you know broader access to the beer, um, maybe um, sort of circ circumvent sort of the secondary market that that lives out there in the beer world, um, and ultimately ultimately just uh, gives us a, an ex excuse to put beer in different places. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, so again, I don't think we necessarily need to get into all of these specific rules details about these. Again, there are resources out there with ZBP, CPP, um, and, and Brewers Association. We as well try to to yeah, educate everybody. But maybe Bob and then Mark, if you could range into this as well, what are kind of some of the, the risks or challenges that you faced in getting into this? What were some of the things you had to learn and be aware of so that you could be compliant? You could have a, a legal active market. I know, I know from our standpoint as a, as a really small brewery uh, with a, with a very small team, um, the, the learning curve for, for direct to consumer is like Everest like steep. Um, every state has its own bizarre Piccadillo beer laws. Um, some of which make sense, some of which don't um, every tax department and revenue service in every state has their own, guidelines and requirements and filing services and formats um, and schedules. And so that that part of it is is a significant barrier for smaller operations. Um, and we've we I think technically I think we were the first brewery to, to join Sovo ship compliant um, as as uh, 
as as the front runners and trying to to onboard that entire system um which which has been an experience for all of us including mm-hmm. in, including ship compliant and especially craft Beak, to their to their credit thank god john's been around along that ride with me but um it's been um it's been incredibly challenging and mm. the the other sort of facet to it is is of course the actual shipping part of it um which we we are literally sending some boxes out tomorrow we just sent some boxes out last week to pennsylvania um you know depending upon who you're who you're dealing with as far as the actual carrier uh you have to be ready to deal with breakage uh claims returns um and given the current state of shipping in general, that's that that was already challenging. But right now, it's it's pretty profoundly challenging, especially for basically a, a very small operation like us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I, as with each shipping offering, I'm I'm spending a couple hours uh, dealing with claims and shipping mm-hmm. and UPS and logistics. So. Um, and not even to mention the shipping materials and all of the all of the elements of of getting you know uh, getting beer to people's homes uh, safely and legally is is uh, yeah. So there's lots of lots of things to juggle. Yeah, it's not just the fun part of paying taxes and all that. Yeah, yeah, that is ultimately it ends up being the easy thing when it you hmm. know if, if you're using a service like Ship Compliant. Appreciate the plug there. Um, I, I guess, you know, Mark, then as as a uh, attorney on our call and again, you know, you can asterisk that say you're not anybody specifically attorney on this call. So all general advice. But but how do you maybe uh, advise a brewery or what would you advise a brewery to be kind of aware of then specifically and looking out for as they do uh, build out their product, build out their, their market and try to get into direct consumer shipping? First, I would tell them that they have to recognize that this is legal in about um, for interstate shipping. Mm. Uh, you know, let, presumably every brewery knows what they can do within their state, and if there's an intrastate shipping option, great. Um, but for interstate shipping, it's only about a quarter of the states, um, and they should figure that out quickly. As you mentioned, you guys have resources. BA.org has resources, and that should go into part of the business plan. You know, it, it is is it worth it for us to cover this many? I think for many brewers, the answer is yes. For many others, it's no. But that should sort of start. Um, and then you do have to go into the um, set of requirements. Um, outsourcing. I'll give you another plug, Alex. Um, outsourcing to uh, a software solution is a great way to simplify this, but recognize that the bottom line in almost every direct shipping state is, you know, okay, it's legal, but I need to get a license or permit. Um, um, whether it's required or just best practice, make sure that you're requiring um, uh, age proof on ordering, re- you know, ensure that the delivery is made where it's clearly marked as alcohol so that the common carrier just doesn't leave it with the 15 year old kid. Um, Then you wanna make sure that you've had whatever taxes need to be paid, excise taxes usually, sometimes sales taxes as well. Uh, There's reporting requirements uh, that often go along with this. So there is a panoply of things that, you know, it's gonna vary from state to state. The good news is there are some ways that you can try to um, outsource some of that with software solutions, but you gotta know that going in. And I think understanding that will help inform whether this is right for your brewery. Yeah, that's a great point. I guess speaking to that, the software solutions and what sort of options are out there, um, John, can you describe a little bit about your interaction with this market? How do you help breweries? 
Yeah, absolutely. Be happy to. And I think, you know, Bob and, and Hill Farmstead make a, um, you know, if you really think about the the kind of setup for uh, a small brewery like Hill Farmstead, where you've got passionate fans all over the world that are, are looking for access to your beer. Um, so, you know, even small breweries like Hill Farmstead have these these audiences that are, are um, you know, very excited to be able to get their hands on on your products. So, um, you know, you, you're looking for opportunities to kind of connect with consumers. And if, you know, people can't get to Vermont and direct a consumer then provides a different channel for, for you to kind of connect with those consumers, that's really what we're looking for. And what we do is we develop technology that is leveraged by our breweries and our, uh, and our uh, craft beverage brands. And what that allows them to do is have a direct connection with those consumers. So it's one thing to be, to, to think about the transaction and say, all right, well, we're, we're selling our beer directly to consumers. But I think what often goes unnoticed or, or maybe uh, is deprioritized in some of the considerations at times is that you actually have that direct connection with the customers, just like you would in your tap room. So the, the, the feedback that you get from the customers, uh, the interactions that you have, you as a brewery have the ability to differentiate through the channel that you're creating there. This isn't where you're handing it off to another online sales platform or marketplace. This is actually technology that, that you can leverage as your brand that allows you to have that direct relationship with the brand. So that's really where we try to stay focused is allowing our, our great brands to have that direct connection with their customers that's where the tra transaction flow is. And then they also own the, the customer relationship and the access to those products. And, and I think uh, there's a lot of evidence to support that that's what really consumers are looking for is kind of that personalized experience, but they want to know what they're getting and they want to know the, the, the core values of the people that are making it. And I think Bob and his team have done an excellent job getting that set up. Yeah, so much is about that, like, you know, like you're saying, the direct connection that you want to understand how the brewer went about it, what they're doing, all that, that sort of, of, of interaction. Um, and I, I guess, you know, Bob, again, as, as the person who is actually doing this, have you been successful in this? Is this something that, you know, are you still growing into this market or do you have like a, a solid grasp of, of what's going on? How do you feel about, you know, the progress, the, the future of this market? I think, I, I, I think that change is, going to be necessitated by a lot of breweries who want to get into new markets. Mm. Um, in our case, we are we are restricted, as, as, as Mark pointed out, to only a certain number of states, um, given the licensing fees and the requirements and some of the costs associated with it. We, we've chosen to only uh, enter a, a couple of those locations. Um, but I, I think it will con continue to grow and expand. Um, I, I know that we'll continue to use it. Um, it is. It can be a, a great way to reach new people and, and even people who we, we actually have people buying beer who have visited us in the past who you know may not be able to get up here and visit us even mm -hmm. regardless of the pandemic. So it's it's a great way to like sort of, I'll sort of maintain a little bit of that. Um, the hope is, of course, that there'll there'll be greater standardization of these of these laws around the country uh, to make it easier and, and less complicated for people. Um, less complicated for breweries to to sort of expand their 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 reach um i think the one of the other tricky things is the lack of of reciprocity between states you know for instance every brewery in california can brew can send beer to vermont because vermont is open but vermont can't we can't sell beer to california residents there's an unlevel playing field there um 
some states, there's only one state that I know of that requires that. Mark can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Oregon is the only one that requires that currently. Uh, we are hoping to require that in Vermont to level the playing field a little bit. Um, but uh, I, I think there's I think there's a lot of change coming down the line uh, in various states and and um, I, I think it's I think it's going to as as the pandemic proves people do want to get stuff at their homes um, we will always have sort of a destination clientele that wants to come and hang out and as John can attest it's it's a it's a lovely way to spend a day and and, and enjoy a pint of beer staring over the green mountains but you it's know if you're awesome. if you're a long way away it would be great if you were in Tucson and wanted to you know get get a get a bottle of Anna delivered to your house it would be I'm, I'm sure pretty delightful. So that's, that's, I expect it will continue to grow and change. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all wish we could, you know, summer up in Vermont, but not, not quite accessible for everybody. Um, but I think that that leads into an interesting point is, is, this, you know, demand and interest among consumers. And, you know, you, I think that a lot of breweries might face this, this question. They get a lot of, of emails, they get a lot of calls from consumers across the country saying, you know, please send me this. And I think that there's a lot of, of services out there that are kind of overpromising, and and you know you might look over and you say, well, this brewery is is sending into Arizona, into California. Why don't we too? Uh, and and so I guess you know I think when you were trying to to navigate this, Mark, again as as the, as the attorney here, what are some of those things that people should be aware of when it comes to these restrictions? You know, you mentioned that there are maybe a quarter of the states allow this. Why are there people that saying they can ship into 40 states? And, and how does a brewery kind of navigate this, this confusing uh, realm of, of options? Yeah, I mean, if you want the, the long answer, can I, can, <laughs> yeah, if you'll indulge me on the long answer. So there's, I, I, I view a direct to consumer as, a, or in, true interstate direct to consumer as kind of four different buckets. The first is, is genuine direct to consumer, which is central location ship across state lines to a consumer, um, uh, and that is the what we have been talking about, which is it's legal in about a quarter of the states. Um, uh, recognize, however, that with wine, after a quarter century campaign, uh, it's virtually the entire country. Mm-hmm. Um, but for for beer uh, and for spirits, it's even more limited. For beer, it's about uh, thirteen states depends on how you count it. There's a few that are kind of on the border, Alex, as you know. Um, then there is the two quasi models. The The first quasi D to C model is what I call the third party provider, the TPP model, which is the consumer has a relationship with a website, an app, you know, Drizzly. Um, uh, I think many of them think they're ordering from Drizzly. They're not. Drizzly's basically brokering a sale by a local retailer to that local consumer and collecting a fee for it. Um, and, and that model works great if you, you're looking for a quick delivery of Bud Light, which is ubiquitous, and so any local retailer will have it. It is a much more difficult proposition if you're Hill Farmstead, where you're not going to be available at the local retailer. So that model doesn't help you. Um, the, the second quasi model is the... Um, uh, the, what I call the bricks and clicks model. And I think it's still in its infancy, but will eventually become a very powerful model as the large chain retailers figure out how to utilize their you know, national put, footprint of retail assets to use those as individual shipping locations. Um, I think Total Wine is kind of the first to really 
uh, put together a quasi national, you know, go, go to totalwine.com and it looks like maybe it's one place, but you're getting it delivered locally. And then the fourth model is the one you kind of alluded to, which is that there are a lot of companies that say, well, we can ship because um, our, you know, our, our terms and conditions say that um, uh, uh, the p title passes to, you know, to you here in, um, I don't know, let's make it up, you know, here in the district. And I have a district license to sell at retail. And um, you consumer, that's your problem as to whether it's legal to ship it to California. And oh, by the way, consumer, go ahead and contact the Board of Equalization in California and pay your taxes. Of course, that doesn't happen. And shifting liability like that every time it's been examined by the courts, the courts have said, eh, mm -hmm. uh, that is not a legal defense. But there are enormous number of companies doing this, most prominently in the wine uh, retailer direct to, cons uh, to consumer shipping mo uh, market, uh, but also in beer and spirits as well. Yeah, I think that's, that's something we're trying to really uh, underscore among, among you know clients and prospects out there is that you can't contract your way out of compliance. These rules still exist; they still apply. And just saying no, 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 it's consumer's fault doesn't really work. And you know, at best, you're just getting your consumer in trouble, really. Um, and I, so I guess then, you know, John, as one of the, the these service providers trying to create marketplaces, how did you kind of, of navigate that and find your niche and, and, and what you can offer for breweries so they are in this compliance? Yeah, great question. Well, um, the answer is a lot of times, Alex, we're checking with you all first. That's <laughs> over ship compliance <laughs> so, or with the, uh, the association or. Um, you know, it, it really kind of harbors back to, to two points. One is one that Mark made and, and he was really talking about, you know, what is the business strategy first before you make these wholesale decisions on, on where you're going to attempt to go DTC. And I think Bob and his team at Hill Farmstead have done this uh, really effectively where they're not saying, oh, let's go to all, you know, the states where this is legal right now, but let's test the waters first. And let's figure out, you know, what what makes sense for the business and brand objectives that they that they have. So part of it is understanding like what the goals are in general, and then working with that brewery to then make sure that they're getting established with the direct consumer licensing that they need and the appropriate UPS accounts, uh, and then making sure that uh, everything that represents the brands has the terms and conditions necessary to sell DTC. So, you know, this is different than a marketplace where we're just like, you know, come work with us and we can sell it everywhere. It's really on a case by case basis, evaluating what the goals are associated with that business and then working with the right compliance officials to make sure that uh, we can uh, uh, kind of correctly set up those, uh, the licensing structure and the, and the tax structure, and then we'll configure the technology to do that accordingly. Yeah, I can kind of recognize that, that personal responsibility, that personal part of being the brewer, being the seller there. Um, and, and actually, you know, I think, Mark, if we could get back to one thing you, you mentioned a little bit ago is that three, that that second quasi type of sale. Um, you know, how, how do you as a brewer, a retailer says, like, you know, don't worry about it. We have this national presence. We can sell everywhere. But what? Risks might a brewer be in if they work with a retailer who, you know, themselves is breaking uh, some some compliance rules. You know, retailers do not necessarily have national ability to do deliveries or do shipping, across, especially across interstate borders. So, yep. yeah, I think it's you know, 16 say, states. Yeah, uh, if they say we're going to handle it and they're not doing it right, is a brewery at risk there? Yeah, and and, and obviously this is a risk tolerance kind of question. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, let's be honest, there are some states where they don't enforce these laws particularly rigorously. They've got limited resources, a bunch of other priorities, and maybe this doesn't become a priority. Um, although one of the warnings I always tell people when they're trying to rely on um, uh, some version of prosecutorial discretion is that, you know, uh, past, past results do not guarantee future results. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a state can overnight either because of a change of administration or because of some embarrassing incident, decide we're going to get tough here. And, mm -hmm. you know, in my 25 career in private practice, I saw that all the time. Um, and uh, so, you know, the state can have jurisdiction over out-of-state shippers. That's very clear. And a few of them have now brought cases under the 21st Amendment Enforcement Act, um, although more recently, uh, or recently also, you had, for example, the Supreme Court of Mississippi affirming the idea that, you know, those clever things, I'm just a seller in California, you can't touch me, don't really work. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so, um, so there's jurisdiction, they can go after you, they've had um, some success if you look at Michigan and Ohio lately coercing, you know, multiple six-figure settlements out of um, illegal sh shippers. So you probably don't want to be one of those. Um, and then the other thing, which I think is particularly, um, well, two points. One is you're once removed if you're selling it to a retailer who's shipping. And I will admit that most companies um, that have been snagged in these things are the actual sellers and shippers. They're not the ones removed. Having said that, it would be a no-brainer for a state prosecutor to say, wait a minute, you sold to this retail operation full well knowing that they were going to ship to consumers all over the country. That's aiding and abetting. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, we haven't seen a lot of those cases, but it would be an easy case to make. Um, and, um, and the final point, though, is that as a producer, you're in a somewhat different situation than a retailer because, you know, Bob, you, uh, you know, right now you're shipping to some mid-Atlantic states legally. Let's say you decided to ship to every state in the Northeast, whether it was legal or not. Um, if you get in trouble and then three years from now you have uh, your business has grown and you've got a distributor that's dying to get you in, um, you know, Massachusetts and you go to your your Massachusetts ABCC to get your 18B license, which is necessary to ship into a, a, a Massachusetts uh, wholesaler, they're going to say, wait a minute, you know, let's, let's look up your record and you've jeopardized that. Um, so the, the, what I call the spray and pray approach, which is just, you know, shoot it out there, count on not getting enforcement. And if you get knocked off in a couple of states, it's cost of doing business. Um, to the extent that that works, and I wouldn't recommend it for anyone, it works better if you're a single retailer in New York City, let's say, than if you are a supplier who one day will probably aspire to distribute in other in other places. Yeah, I think some some good warnings there, and you know, we've definitely seen you know some of these more questionable services out there, and there's a big splash quote from a brewer on there saying, you know, we couldn't work without them, and it's like probably not going to look great if a, a state prosecutor ever ever really looks into that. Um, you know, I guess, again, Bob, from, from personal experience, did you ever look into any of these services? How did you kind of, of navigate that yourself? Or what? how did you manage that, that risk calculus? We, we've definitely been approached by um, a couple of those, um, you know, services that promise to ship everywhere and anywhere. And they present their legal case, you know, based on you know, what is it, the Costco model of mm -hmm. Washington state, or I don't know, whatever, 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 quote unquote, precedent that, that comes up that allows them to ship everywhere. 
Um, we took a pretty fine tooth comb to a lot of that and just decided that, uh, you know, in our risk assessment, um, that it wasn't worth the hassle. Um, and we also wanted to have a little bit more, as John well knows, we, we do like to have our, a, a fairly tight control over uh, where our beer goes and, and to whom it, you know, goes. And um, so that, that ends up, that ends up guiding it as well. And there's also the pricing part of it as well, uh, you know, that, that, hmm. that influences, you know, we, we, we want to be able to like, you know, have people get our beer at a price that, that, that we would sell it in our retail shop plus a little bit of, you know, handling and, and whatnot. But, um, the, most of those services, uh, you know, have, have, a, you have markups that, you know, you can, I'm, we've seen four packs of IPA warm shipped across the country, you know, arriving at $30, you know, a four pack. And you're like, no, that's not the perception, you know, that, that I, that we want for our brewery. No. Um, you know, it's, it's, if we're going to send a barrel aged beer, then the pricing might match that. But, you know, four cans of IPA, I don't care what puree you put in it. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's, it's not, it doesn't. It, so that, that sort of definitely impacts, you know, how we, how we took that, took that into, into advisement and whether or not we worked with one of those services, but ultimately it was the real gray area legality of it that mm-hmm. made us uncertain. Um, I mean, we jokingly said early on the pandemic that, you know, we, we were looking for a loophole to ship to folks in New York because New York doesn't allow direct to consumer. And we have lots of, lots of fans in New York and, um, you know, who couldn't travel here, uh, you know, safely. And we, we looked, we tried to find loopholes. We were like, we'll just sell the beer and we'll send a check to the New York tax department. Like we'll happily pay the tax. It's your fault. You don't have a good law. Uh, but we decided that was probably also not worth, uh, not, not worth the troubles. Um, we did have a pretty good scheme. We thought we were going to be able to pull off to ship it legally, even via UPS, uh, and then literally cut a check to the state of New York, you mm-hmm. know, Department of Revenue, and say, "This is yours. This is your sales tax." But, um, but yeah, that that ends up being a, a huge factor, and and it should be a huge factor in, in where where breweries send their beer. Mm. Yeah, not a not a risky thing. And actually, I guess one last kind of point of this, if we can can keep on this, and Mark, I'm going to lean back on you and maybe ask a little bit of a leading question here. But one of the things we've been seeing a lot, and especially I think we've been hearing a lot of this in in the spirits industry, but are these so-called three-tier compliant direct-to-consumer sales. So you, the supplier, will make the sale, and then it goes on to be fulfilled from a specific retailer. You just pass it along to whoever is in that that retailer um, group, I guess, within that, that marketplace. And it seems to me that if you are making a sale directing consumers to a specific retailer, you know, isn't this a pretty clear tie house violation? And, and doesn't that potentially bring in federal issues here even? Yeah, well, so with beer, it's only a federal if, issue if it's also a state issue because of the penultimate clause. In spirits, it's a potential federal issue no matter what. Um, yeah, I, is directing a, a, re, a, a consumer to an individual retailer a thing of value? A lot of states would say yes. Um, some would say no. I mean, there's the retailer advertising service exception in the federal law, which is mirrored in New York's and a number of other states where as long as you have as it relatively inconspicuous 
uh, mentions of multiple retailers. Mm -hmm. And I think one could make the case that like a retail locator, for example, fits that bill. Um, exactly where the line is, is going to depend on the individual service um, and the individual um, um, and, and the individual uh, 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 state law. Mm. But um, yeah, I, th I think at a minimum, you'd want to do your due diligence as to whether you think that's really crossing the line. Um, and then if you really want to get fancy, this was, um, you know, I, 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 I had many, many clients in the industry for 25 years. And one of the things that always got friends of mine in the uh, in-house world laughing as I said, okay, so if you want, if you have a wheelbarrow full of money, you can also, and so my wheelbarrow full of money suggestion here is there's also an interesting First Amendment aspect to that, hmm. right? Hey, look, truthful, non-misleading information, these folks have this beer to sell, um, and you can't tell me that, uh, that, that, that you're adequately advancing a, you know, compelling government interest by saying, I can't tell them that. Right. Um, and, and as Alex, you probably know, there's a split in the circuits on that, right? California says, yep, you can suppress that speech. Eighth Circuit says, no, you can't. Right. So someday the Supreme Court's going to figure that one out. With yeah, a wheelbarrow I mean, full of money. <laughs> yeah, so many things that if there was a wheelbarrow of money, we could, you know, finally get some answers on these things. Yep. But maybe just a good kind of uh, reminder to everybody, do talk to your attorneys, do read that fine print because you never know what's going to get you. Um, you know, and I guess, you know, for that, that John, you know, you, you talked about using services like Solarship compliant to understand the specific rules. Uh, but, you know, I, again, I guess, what do you think the value is of a brewery using a service like Craft Peak to really managing everything themselves? Are they then going to be all right with all this sort of thing? Yeah, I think, you know, once again, it's, it's the, um, it, it kind of takes a village to make breweries successful. And so I think it's, it, it's really a combination of, um, you know, hopefully bringing all the right experts to the table as you need them. So you already mentioned that, you know, you want to be talking with your lawyers, well, you know, talking with your accountants and talking with Craft Peak. I, I think all of those kind of fit in. And what we'll do is, um, you know, we'll help guide our breweries that are interested in DTC. We can share the information that we've learned over the past few years of helping breweries kind of legally get up and compliant and and successfully open uh, DTC channels. Um, but really what we're what we're working with with the brewery once again is to determine what those overall business goals are, what their brand objectives are, where they're trying to get their beer, and then make sure that they've got the appropriate counsel in place uh, and uh, and the right resources and, and people at the table that can help us do that. So really, you know, our solution is not just technology, it's people, it's experience, it's bringing in strategic partners to do this. And because it touches so many different things, you know, there's a lot of hands involved in, in making these things successful. But mm -hmm. if you if you do, you're, you're selling beer, uh, you're controlling that relationship, you're owning that relationship, you're, you're getting your products to people that are most passionate about it. So there's a lot of value there. Um, but, you know, there's certainly some, some hoops that we want to make sure that everybody jumps through and why we're not the compliance experts and we're not lawyers ourselves and we're not and not accountants. We, we work with all of those to make sure that we can figure the technology to, to make our brewery successful. Yeah, that's I mean, so that's something that we do a lot with within ship compliant also is about enabling you to manage compliance. It's not about saying these are the rules. This is how you do it. But this is how you can go about making it easier, understanding what's out there and then getting it all together. So so great to hear that. Um, I should remind everybody, we do have time for, for questions at the end of this. So if you do have things you want to, to bring up, uh, feel free to put that in the comments and we can uh, try to get with them. Um, and so 
you know, again, we have kind of a question actually here asking about shipping direct to consumer to Florida. And, uh, you know, I think automatically we can say that's not a state that allows interstate shipping of beer, at least. They do allow wine and by wine retailers as well. But, you know, beer, it, it, it might not be available. And so I think this can this really gets into a broader question, though, that we really want to bring up is how do we go about making Florida available for DHTC shipping? Um, you know, talking to consumers, talking to the experts. Um, how do we go about uh, ex expanding this map? If anybody has- I think, in this, I think in this case, Mike was asking from Florida. So I don't oh, know if, I don't know if maybe oh, Mike is from, a, maybe he's from a brewery and he's, he's curious hmm. about shipping from Florida. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and, in, and in that case, you, you just have to, you just have to investigate all the states you want to ship to and figure out whether you can afford the licensing fees and the brand registrations and all of, you know, all the, all the things associated with that, you know, as a, as a manufacturer, it's, it's just a matter of figuring out the available states and the process. Um, but the, I think the, the bigger question is the one that Alex poses, which is how, to, how do we change it for, for some places? And I, I think Mark probably has the best uh, perspective on that. It's, it's ultimately got to be legislative changes, you know, and how do we, how do we go about that? Whether it's the brewer, individual brewers guilds in different states, is it, you know, is there a grassroots movement of beer nerds, uh, you know, um, you know, all the, all the, all that sort of thing. Like how, to, how do we move that? How do we move that goal line, uh, you know, appropriately? Mm. Bob, great, great uh, setup. So yes, it's both. Um, so start with the advertisement, which is every small independent brewer should be politically active. You should get to know your both federal and your state uh, and your state regulators and lawmakers. Um, be a participant in the process. And remember, this is uh, stealing a quote from Sam Calagione when he was chairman of our board. You know, together we are heavy. Um, no single craft brewery, and I even that includes the largest, can get a whole lot done individually. Um, but with uh, you know 8,000 breweries in this country now, you're going to have um, we have critical mass. Um, certainly federally, we've demonstrated our muscle with the you know the passage of Kaboomtra, with the various uh, COVID packages that uh, we you know in some cases specifically intervened to get brewers a piece of the restaurant revitalization fund, for example, that wouldn't have happened um, without our direct intervention. Um, at the state level, we are, um, as, as, as the National Association, we support our guilds. And so, um, and, and most of the laws that we're talking about are state laws. And, um, you know, a, a federal solution that preempts state law is never going to happen. Um, you know, the Wine Institute, you know, <laughs> Wine Institute will tell you, like, look, that's a fool's errand. It will never happen. And a quarter century ago, they decided that they were just going to have to, you know, roll up their sleeves and start um, going state by state. And it's taken them 25 years. Um, to go from, you know, what was probably about 10 or 12 states in the, you know, early to mid 90s to 46 states today. And I think brewers need to look, have the long term and look at rolling up their sleeves. Um, and if you're an individual brewer um, looking at this, you know, first conversation and you really say, I want to get involved, talk to your guild. Um, and then as part of that, I think there have been some um, consumer focused uh, uh, organizations. Uh, I think more can be done to create something akin to free the grapes on the um, on the wine side. Uh, that again is going to speak for the consumer side of things. And and 
you know, our data, Alex, uh, uh, you know, you, you know this because uh, we, did, we did the report with you guys, you know, there's a, um, you know, 80% of beer, craft beer consumers want this. And so we have the consumer on our side. Yeah. Please, John. Yeah, Mark, I, I, I've got a question just because, that you know, it's a fascinating topic of conversation and one that comes up often with, with the folks that we work with. But, you know, um, we take a lot of our inspiration and, and knowledge from the, the work that's been done before us uh, related to like the California Wine Institute and, and things that were, were able to be achieved there. I guess one of the one of the debates that we get in, and this is when I'm talking to uh, to uh, brewery guilds at the state level and and talking with the boards there is that, you know, the California Wine Institute was established in California where you had the majority of wineries and there was a collective intent and combined motivation to kind of get that wine elsewhere. Um, and so what they're able to do is kind of have a lightning rod that allowed, you know, the formalization of that process and allowed people to kind of gather around it. And then collectively, state by state, they were able to kind of change the, the legislation. I guess, where does... Um, because it's not the same situation uh, for beer where we're more distributed. Um, are there ways that we could look at this as a, uh, or opportunities that we could look at this as a more collective effort so that it would be closer to the model of, of what we were able to achieve with, with wine? Uh, I think the, the, the Pollyanna, Pollyanna hat says um, people will recognize that a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, Bob, you know, you, 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 being open to states will eventually cause other states to open. The Scrooge in me says what's going to happen is these state guilds, and we've seen it happen, put up protectionist laws that allow in-state only shipping. And eventually you're going to have the equivalent of the um, the wine direct to consumer shipping cases. And those are no, these are no-brainer cases. You cannot have in-state breweries can do something and out-of-state breweries can't. That is an easy, you know, the, the question as to retailers is being played out in the courts now because it's arguably a different analysis and I could go for hours on the case law as to why, but for producers, it's absolutely clear. And so, you know, the cynics in me says, if I don't convince, if I don't convince the state of X to make direct to consumer available to, for all breweries, at some point, the court's going to ram it down their throat, <laughs> yeah. um, which is uh, that, you know, and, and hopefully it's the former people do this voluntarily. If it's not, you know, eventually there's going to be, you know, a couple of, there's two plaintiffs lawyers in the same firm out of Indiana, who've brought virtually all the wine cases over the last 20 years, um, some clever, you know, uh, law firm is going to figure out that this is a, a successful business model for them in the beer space um, and, and will do it. Uh, that, that, that will happen. I mean, it may not be next year or two years from now, but it, it'll eventually happen if the states don't get on the, with the program of opening up to everybody. Yeah, I was actually kind of wondering about that because you mentioned the difference between interstate and cross-state borders versus intrastate shipping. And you know, I know of at least one state that does officially have intrastate shipping of beer, no interstate shipping of beer, and a few other states that kind of unofficially allow it. And, and really, I was kind of wondering it's how, more, how it's more. It's definitely more than one. <laughs> <laughs> how how do the states get, kind of get away with this? Don't they recognize that Granholm is really a supplier-based decision that it should represent uh, the entire tier, or are they just kind of doing this until they get sued in court? I think a lot of them are just doing it until they get sued in court. Um, and then depending on what your political um, objective is at the time, I mean, it's always, it, it, it's funny. I've worked with BA, you know, long before I was 
in-house. And in the same state, if there's an issue that a particular group doesn't want to proceed, even if it probably passes constitutional muster, they jump in front of the legislature and go, ooh, possible Commerce Clause issue, grand home, you know, this is terrible, don't do it. And then if there's something that they really want to have done, they sort of like let that go. And I've seen that plenty of times on this issue as well. Having sat through a number of, of Zoom legislative sessions or committee sessions in the last year in, in respect to reciprocity and miscellaneous alcohol bills, Mark is 100% correct that even this slight, a state legislature can, state legislator can be derailed very quickly by even the slightest hint of, of, of trouble or controversy or even, even a multi-syllabic law uh, related issue. Um, I, it's, I've, I've seen it, I've seen it firsthand. Um, and it's, it's very, it's very tricky. Um, it's to, to navigate that even when you have, you know, ju the just cause and the, and the, and the, and the constitution, uh, behind you on that one, it's, mm. it is very, very difficult. Yeah. I wonder maybe Bob, can you speak a little bit to your experience there? And, and I think, you know, also bringing back that, how do we get this, how do we get this engagement is, you know, recognizing that, frankly, California probably doesn't care much about a Vermont brewer. How do you engage with the California constituents who they do care about and, and try to get that, that engagement going? I think that's why we're playing that little game of leverage where uh, the California breweries certainly do like to sell their beer to Vermont consumers. Mm -hmm. So if that market is no longer available to them because they uh, they don't allow Vermont breweries to sell there, then then the you know the reciprocity clause, which Oregon's had I think for at least five years and has remained unchallenged, um, that. You know that that's our only leverage. Uh, you know we we can continue to interact with the California Brewers and the Brewers Guild there, and in hopes of you know encouraging that sort of um, open open playing field or level playing field. But you know we what we do is it's and you know we 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 lean on John and his team to make sure that every time we do a sale, every time we do something on our on our our beautiful website that John's team designed with 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 a whole lot of me making them work very late hours. Um, and for that, I apologize, John, uh, to this day, I still apologize. Um, <laughs> all good. but, um, what we do is we get a lot of questions and breweries always get a lot of questions like how come you can't ship to X or how come you can't ship to Y. And whenever we do, uh, you know, when, whenever we list, uh, something up for sale for say Pennsylvania, we almost always put, you know, a little disclaimer or a little clause or, or, block of text that says, you know, these are the current states that are available. You know, if your state isn't on this list, talk to your state legislator, you know, start a movement, mm -hmm. write a letter, get an email going, make a phone call. We're just, our, the only thing we can do is to sort of to try to get our audience to advocate in their own best interests, um, you know, to be able to receive beer at their homes um, in the same way that the wine world uh, already does. So. I think that's our, I think that's our best, our best tool is uh, on the legislative side is, you know, Vermont's a, you know, tiny little brave state, um, you know, and they're probably, it probably isn't that big a market for say California brewers or Colorado brewers or whatnot, but every, every little bit of, of, of resistance that we can put into that to, you know, raise the issue, it, we'll do what we can. Mm -hmm. Hey, can I give a little pl a plug for my friends at the California Craft Brewers Association? There are bills pending in California 
uh, both in the Assembly and the Senate. Um, they were actually heard in the Senate GO committee uh, two weeks ago on mm, November excellent. 30th. Uh, uh, Russian River Breweries, Natalie uh, Solerzo testified in favor. Um, so the California brewers at least are doing their part um, uh, over objections that are not certainly from other brewers. <laughs> um, we, we, yeah. we don't need a lot of imagination to know where the objections are coming from. Yeah. Yeah. And Natalie's the best and full disclosure, they're our distributor in California. So, <laughs> Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we have a very close, good personal relationship with, 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 with uh, her and Vinny. So that's mm. great to hear. I, she's, she's great. Yeah. Glad to see that interaction, but I think, yeah, it definitely is that, you know, getting those California consumers to, to write the nasty letters, that's who the legislatures are going to listen to and trying to, you know, that's how we can kind of solve some of these collective action problems, trying to, to get it along. And I think that, you know, to your point, Mark, about those usual suspects who are bringing up claims about how this is going to ruin society and, you know, no taxes. I think that it's, it's, services out there need, need to be out there and showing why this is a compliant market. You know, we've demonstrated that for wine, no reason it can't work for beer and, and spirits as well. And demonstrating that, you know, there are services out there that can block sales to minors. States are getting millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in tax revenue from DTC sales. So it's, you know, it's kind of something you said earlier, Bob, is that New York just needs to let you pay their taxes. You're happy to pay their taxes if if they just let you yeah, um, just take take our money yeah absolutely <laughs> as, as you want to follow the laws it's just me matter of having the laws there that you can follow uh we are kind of kind of running towards the end of time so again i just wanted to invite any other questions from the audience uh and then maybe if there's any last things that you you all want to to say we could kind of do a little quick round robin and and maybe call it there I guess I'll start. Um, I think I said my big pitch, which was, yeah, I mean, if you're whether you're a brewery or I, I think this is for only professionals, but if you're a consumer, get involved with this. If, if this is important to you, make it a priority. Um, it's going to take a quarter century, probably maybe a little less, but um, that's how long it took for wine. And um, uh, but we got to start somewhere. So please start and get active and, and make this happen. Yeah, Mark. Quick question for you along those lines. As a as a consumer of beer, um, are there things that can be plugged into at at the Brewers Association, or do you want to? Are you pretty much directing folks to like you know go directly to the legislators? We do point? have an action network of craft beer fans, and I'm embarrassed to say I don't know exactly how you get on that list, <laughs> um, but we do have something like fifty thousand people's names, and um, uh, I can offline get back to you on on how to plug in and then um a lot of the guilds have their own local action networks um as well as we tap into the aha membership base um as well so there's there's three um possible avenues um but i wish i had i, I wish i had a www to announce here <laughs> and I, I don't <laughs> well yeah it, I'm, I'm just curious because it's one of the things that pops up for us and and bob and i have joked uh, about this for years having kind of pre-formatted letters on the on the website where if you select you know new york and then all of a sudden you're a disappointed customer because you get the message that we can't ship uh, hill farm said beer to new york then there's a, a letter right there to go ahead and reach out to your your congressman mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. We, we've activated one of those letter writings for the uh, Restaurant Revitalization Fund um, uh, just 
this week, last week. So we do that very frequently. Honestly, we haven't done it systematically for D2C because it's a state issue. And um, um, while I think everybody on this call would think this is a no-brainer, every brewer should support this, um, we would get some angry calls from certain guild leaders if we were to start sending letters like this to cons consumers in their states. Um, so uh, it's a state issue and we have to have consensus with the local association and um, and we certainly do with you know California and 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 a good number of other states, but it's certainly not universal. And so um, we would not roll out a national consumer um, uh, write-in on this issue right now because we don't have national consensus from our state associations. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's important to note within the wine industry is that you did have the wine institute really plugging a lot of lobbying, but it was separate. Uh, from the Free the Grapes, Grapes Association, which was the, the public action end of that, which did have this, you know, go out there, write your, your congressman, congressperson, and, and have that form letter. Uh, unfortunately, we've found out that Free the Hops is a trademarked line from the Alabama. Alabama, yeah. So I uh, need to think of something else there. But, yeah, I think that that's that sort of you know, interaction we need. Yeah, well, I know that there's a, a few grassroots things that are happening um, around that, but I'm always always curious, knowing that there's similarities between the the two wine and, and beer, but you know, I think we're it's a slightly different animal as well. So we're always we're always trying to figure out what's the best way to crack that nut. Um, yeah. But I think you know, for for breweries, I would say uh, I would kind of go back to the original points here that you know, uh, DTC shipping presents, uh, some really great opportunities for you, but you know, these aren't free lunches. You have to understand what you're getting into. It has to be part of the business plan. You have to be strategic with it. And, and if you are, um, uh, the great thing about all of this is that it's completely measurable because everything is under your control. So you know where your customers are, you know what they want, you know what the, the price point is that that makes sense. And what we've seen a number of our breweries do is use DTC then to also figure out where they've got a lot of passionate supporters and maybe they're going to open up other brick and mortar uh, locations at those places. So I think there's a, a lot of potential there. I would also say that this is kind of version 1.0 for breweries. Like we're all figuring this out together. <laughs> so nobody's got all the answers here. So a lot of it is experimentation and making sure that you, you benchmark things and measure. Um, but all that to say that we we believe that there's going to be lots of um, uh, lots of additional benefit moving forward. There's going to be additional services that are available for shipping and handling. Uh, there's going to be a different uh, additional opportunities. And I think the you know the uh, some of the price points that we're seeing right now that might be barriers to entry for certain breweries. I believe through competition, we're going to see those things get much more competitive over time. So I think, you know, if you are considering it right now, now is a good time to get educated and begin exploring because I think if you can get it dialed in right now, there's there's lots of opportunity in, in front of us here with the way things are changing. Oh, definitely. Yes, Bob. Anything last to say? Um, just sort of similar wrap up to everybody. I mean, there's, there's, as, as John put it so well, there's, there's an immense opportunity even within the only eight or nine locations that, that you can ship, ship your beer if you're a brewery, but the ability to reach uh, new and, and returning champions uh, with your, with your product is kind of a, kind of a, a great thing to, to be able to do, um, you know, just recognize the challenges, know what you're getting into, um, you know, look, some states are much better than other others about presenting the necessary information and the steps to get licensed, be in compliance, 
find good services and great partners to work with. Uh, we're lucky that we work with Ship Compliant and and Craft Peak. Um, so I, I mean, we're already a leg up, but make make sure that like your e-commerce side of stuff is is rock solid and uh, and, and makes sense. Um, and and ultimately, if you can find a service that that helps you manage the compliance part of things, even if you're a large brewery, I imagine. I mean, you don't want to just throw away resources and and people resources at mm-hmm. um, at this stuff when there's there's really good services that that will help keep you on the up and up and help you make sure all those tax filings go when they're supposed to go, whether it's monthly, quarterly, biannual, annual. They're all different, so uh, you know that just just uh, have all of those things uh, on the table before you like leap into a, into a state. Because as as Mark has pointed out, you can you can shoot yourself in the foot pretty pretty badly if if you uh, if if you just if you just go for it. Yeah. Well, thank you all very much. I think there's some great lessons out there. You know, opportunities to be had. Just a matter of doing your homework, getting ahead of things, making sure that, you know, we, we build this this market, this industry together. So uh, go out there and, and prosper. Again, I really want to thank you three for joining us, us today. Uh, it's been so much to learn and, and really great insights. I hope everybody learned a lot today. So thank you, Mark, John, Bob. Uh, and again, thank you, everybody in the audience for, for joining us. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you. And of course, then thanks to the uh, the Craft Beer Professionals Organization. Uh, really great to see them and interact with them as well. So until next time. All righty. Bye-bye. We are proud to keep CBP 100% free and accessible to all. If you enjoy conversations like this, please hit the subscribe button.